0: Today's reading is John 4, 1 through 27, Jesus and the Samaritan Woman. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on his way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field of Jacob that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob well was there, and Jesus, tired of a long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noon, about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She, she said to Jesus, "You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink?" Jesus replied, "If you only knew the gift of God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't know don't have a rope or a bucket," she said, "and this well is very deep. Where would you you get this living water? And besides, don't do you think you're greater than our ancestor?" Ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks, from, drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. I beco- it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving, giving them inter- eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, Give me this water then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have f- five husbands, and you aren't you're, you aren't married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the, you... Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here, at the Mount of Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, "Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one that you one you worship." While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, the, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her?
1: Amen. There's a priest who had worked late one night, and he was making his way down an alley where he parked his car. When a man suddenly emerged from the shadows and thrusted a muzzle of a shotgun into his ribs and demanded, give me your wallet. Not wanting to argue with the gentleman with the gun, the priest decided to reach into his jacket pocket. And as he started to reach into his jacket pocket, his clerical collar started to show in the dim light. Suddenly, the thief said, oh, Wait a minute, are you a priest? To which the priest replied, Well, yes, I am. Oh, well, I don't rob priests. He said, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Suddenly the priest said, Oh, okay. So the priest decided to pull out a cigar from his pocket and he offered it to the thief. And the thief said, Oh, no, I'm sorry. I gave those up for Lent. Now see, we've started to make Lent so dogmatic. We've made it more about us than we have about God. So these last several weeks, what we've been doing is giving up those things that God would want us to give up. Not the things that we enjoy and think, oh, I need to give up chocolate. Oh, I need to give up TV or movies. No, we enjoy those things, and so we're thinking, oh, if I can just give that up for a short time, then I'll grow closer to God. And what we're saying these last several weeks is, no, you give up those things that are really hard to give up. Hopelessness. How about giving up our expectations of how and when we think that God should act? How about giving up our control over situations that we think we have control over and really we have no control at all? Last week, we looked at giving up our grudges and giving up our bitterness to replace them with peace and forgiveness. Because when we can learn to give up those things, then we become more and more like Jesus. And isn't that the goal? Not to just give up. Those things like chocolate, and and those are good things to give up. Those are good things to fast from. Don't get me wrong. But let's really, if we want to transform our hearts, if we want to change, let's give up something that's going to change our lives. And so today, our message is entitled, Giving Up Our High Ground, because we're all level at the cross. You see, in 2013... The Barna Group, who does lots of studies, lots and lots of studies, global studies. So they did this nationwide study of self-proclaimed practicing Christians. They wanted to determine if today's Christians were more like Jesus or more like the Pharisees. So the survey consisted of 20 questions. Ten that reflected the selfless attitudes and the selfless actions of Jesus. And then there were ten that reflected the self-righteous attitudes and actions of the Pharisees. Results were quite startling. Over 50% of these practicing Christians were considered to be more like the Pharisees than Jesus Only 1 in 7 people, so only 14% of the people surveyed practicing Christians were considered to be like Jesus in both their attitudes and their actions towards other people. That's frightening. What message are we sending? No wonder we're hypocrites. We say, Jesus saved us, Jesus loves you, and then we beat people over the head we're sending a different message what those results show us is that we tend to be more concerned with the unrighteousness of others as compared to our own self-righteousness one of the things that we do wrong in the church is that we mistakenly think that our relationship with Jesus and that our salvation somehow puts us on a higher ground above other people when in reality At the cross, the ground is level. The ground to the cross is level. There are no levels. And that's the great lesson in today's text. So our text starts with, So Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Had to? Did he have to go through Samaria? No, he didn't have to go for strictly geographical reasons. Can we throw that map up real quick? You see Judea, you see Samaria and Galilee in our map. Most Orthodox Jews of that time did not want to go through Samaria. There was such a dislike of the Samaritans by the Jews They would go out of their way, adding weeks to their journey to avoid going through Samaria. So if they were in Judea, they would travel east, go across the Jordan River into Gentile land, go north until they knew they were above Samaria, and then they would go back west over the Jordan River again to get to Galilee. That was the customary travel of the Jews at that time. But it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. The blue route is where Jesus went. So you tell me, did he have to go through Samaria? No. But if he was obeying God, he did. See, Jesus was never one to go along with the cultural and social norms. He never let societal pressure influence his decisions. He gives up the high ground. He takes the road less traveled through Samaria to get to Galilee. So when John says that Jesus had to go through Samaria... It wasn't about geographical necessity. It was out of obedience to God's guidance. And it was obedience to God's calling that he had to go through Samaria. Because Jesus traveling through Samaria was theological. He had a theological purpose to go through Samaria. He had a soul to save. He had a lesson to teach his disciples Jesus' meeting with the woman at the well produces a striking contrast against what happened in chapter 3 of John. In chapter 3, there was a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was a man very high up on the social ladder. Our Samaritan woman is a member of a reviled group of people. She was a Samaritan. The Samaritan woman is everything that Nicodemus is not. Nicodemus has a name. Our Samaritan woman is anonymous. Nicodemus is learned and scholarly. Our woman is unschooled. Nicodemus is considered morally upright. Our woman is considered sinful and contaminated by society. Nicodemus is wealthy, upper class. Our Samaritan woman is poor and living on the outcast's edge of society. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark of night with his questions. Jesus seeks out our Samaritan woman in the brightness of the day with his own questions for her. And that is exactly how the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman begins. Verse 7 says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? But this woman was all too familiar with the social customs between the Samaritans and the Jews. She said to Jesus, Well, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? A paraphrase of that would be, hey, don't you know that people like you are superior to people like me? Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Men don't talk to women in public. And you're asking me for a drink? Jews don't touch the drinking cups that Samaritans have used. Really, she's feeling inferior in this moment. But when Jesus looked at her, he didn't see her the way others did. He didn't see her as a Samaritan woman or a woman with a bad reputation and then just walk by. He saw her as a person who needed salvation. He saw her as a soul that just needed the love of God in her life. Even though he knew her sin, he spoke to her with respect, with love, with kindness. He never condones her behavior, but neither does he condemn her. If anyone had the right to be superior, If anyone had the right to be on the high ground, it was Jesus. But as Paul reminds the Philippians in chapter 2, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing. That's Jesus, the one who has the right to claim high ground, saying no, I don't want it. His responses to the woman at the well are truth, but they're delivered with such loving kindness. And it draws her closer. She becomes curious and intrigued. Tell me more. Tell me more. Until he finally reveals to her who he is. I am the Messiah. Jesus had not revealed himself as the Messiah to anyone until he saw her. That tells us something. Everyone matters. Everyone matters. He chooses to reveal himself as Messiah in such a way that the social barriers and the cultural boundaries of that time they're shattered. See, the culture of that time had created boundaries between the non-Jews and God. See, the Jews thought they were the only ones going to heaven because they were the seed of Abraham. They thought their place was secure, and that gave them a sense of superiority. And it put themselves up on the high ground above the Samaritans and above the Gentiles. But Jesus came to break down those barriers. Jesus shows us that the grace of God is available to everyone. Jews, Gentiles, male, female, poor, rich. Jesus, in that moment, did not have superiority. He would not have an attitude of superiority. But his disciples did. It's the same attitude that we see from Christians today. So let's look at how they responded to this whole conversation. Because they let their prejudices, they let their bigotry influence them. In verse 27, when the disciples come back, they were shocked. Shocked. These are people that have been walking with him for a couple years now. And they're shocked to see him talking to the Samaritan woman. Shocked. They don't really know their Lord very well, do they? But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her, that woman, that sinful woman, that Samaritan woman? You will contaminate yourself, Jesus, if you talk to her. Why are you doing it? You see, for the disciples, the Samaritan woman was low on the social scale. They couldn't understand why Jesus would talk to her. We do the same thing today. We care about the salvation of some people more than others. We see some people as more worthy of our time and care than others. We actually start doing it when we're kids. In elementary school, we see the kid who is different, and the kid who sits alone at lunch. And we just do it over and over and over. We want to be with the popular kids. And then we continue it into adulthood with that one employee at work who talks too much. Oh, I don't want to sit with her. She talks too much. She'll talk my ear off. Oh, that person, that one, he complains too much. He's too negative. Or even that one that just smells different. We do it at the grocery store when we pass by the woman with the screaming kid. And we watch. Hey, excuse me, miss. Is there anything I can help you with? No. We'd rather walk by and say, I can't believe that parenting. How horrible. Would Jesus do that? No. We do it with the person at the deli counter. Well, they just decide what they want. I've got things to do. You're interrupting my schedule. Or maybe you're behind that old person that's struggling to walk. You want to get down the aisle. You can't do it. I've done that. I've been so frustrated. Fine, I'll just turn around and go the other way. I'm guilty of it. We make judgments every day of the people that God puts in our path. And we decide if they are worthy of our grace. But in doing that... We're inadvertently deciding whether they're worthy of God's grace. Because where does that grace come from? It's not from us, it's from him. And if we don't offer our grace to someone else, we're denying them God's grace. Do we really have that right? There are even examples, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people coming to the doors of a church And being told, oh, you know what? I saw you smoking over there. You can't come in here because Christians don't smoke. What is up with that? Oh, I see that tattoo on your arm. I'm not sure you'll be welcome in here. Are you kidding me? I'm going to go get a couple of tattoos and just show them to say, Jesus he doesn't care whether you have tattoos. He doesn't care if you smoke. He doesn't, wear, he doesn't care what you wear into this building. He cares about your heart. That's all he cares about is your soul. And if he has your soul, then the rest of it doesn't matter. I've even heard stories of someone who wanted to wear a baseball cap to church. And he was turned away. And you know what? The man was wearing a baseball cap because he was going through chemo treatment. And he was bald. And he was wearing a cap. How sad is that? That's the witness that we're bringing to the people out there. That's not the Jesus I know. God doesn't rank people on a scale of worthiness. Because we're all unworthy of salvation. We're all unworthy of his grace. Yet we're all equally loved. That's why our mission here at Sawgrass is loving in ways that matter. Because every person matters to God. The second thing that we see with the disciples is that if we keep standing on our high ground, we become consumed by the mundane details of our life. After Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman, she takes off. She's so excited. But listen to the disciples. Rabbi, eat something. Rabbi, eat something. Did they not just see that little bit of excitement? No, no, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says to them, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. To which they said, did somebody bring him food? while we were gone. The disciples couldn't stop thinking about food long enough to notice Jesus' excitement. When they left him, he was weary. He was hungry and thirsty from travel. And when they come back, suddenly he's revived. A perceptive person would have said, What happened? The disciples are so short-sighted, They couldn't see past their list of things to do, though. We do the same thing. We spend much of our time focusing on our to-do lists. When what we should really be doing is looking at our to-be list. For the people that God places in our path, he wants us to be something for them. For some, you need to be the only encouragement they get that day. For some, you may need to be a warm smile that says, I noticed you. For some, you may need to be a glimmer of hope that they haven't had in a while. For others, you may need to be the kindness that shows them that someone cares. The third thing we see with the high ground that the disciples are on is that our high ground skews our perspective. So much so that we're then lulled into inaction. We think we have plenty of time. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Because from the high ground, the disciples couldn't appreciate the urgency of their call. Jesus says to them, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up. Look around you. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Jesus is trying to stir them to action. He says, not four months. Now. The time is now. We're not promised tomorrow. Do it today. Which brings us right back to the why Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had such a close relationship with the Father. He knew the Father was calling him to travel through Samaria for a purpose. In his obedience, a social outcast found her value, found her worth. And then she in turn brings an entire village back to Jesus. All because Jesus gave up the high ground and took a different road to tell one woman she mattered. It's really easy to find the dirt on people. We're really good at finding faults in people. That seems to be the norm in our culture these days. Let's find the dirt on people. But as followers of Christ, we're to be different. So what if instead of the dirt, what if we look for the gold in people? Did you know that gold is three times heavier than iron? That means that it always sinks to the lowest point. Think about that with the Samaritan woman. She was at the lowest of the social society. And Jesus found gold in her. When gold sinks to the lowest point, that means that you're not going to find the gold from the high ground. You have to go down into the lower places. We have to be down in the potholes, we have to look in the cracks of the bedrock to find the gold. And that's exactly the example that Jesus gives us with the Samaritan woman. God desires that none shall perish. That's why he sent Jesus. He so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever, whoever, everyone, anyone who believes in him will not perish. Jesus broke all the social conventions of the day by traveling through Samaria, by speaking to a woman in public. Jesus brought to her his message of grace, his message of freedom. Because the religious elite were too busy, too self-important to care. You see, God doesn't care about the artificial lines that we draw to make ourselves superior to others, or to just feel better about ourselves. You see, if we can learn to give up our status, if we can learn to give up that high ground, if we can learn to give up our judgmental attitudes, we'll be able to hear Jesus a little more clearly, so that we have to go through Samaria as well. Because when we begin to feel superior, when we start to climb up to our high ground We need to assess our relationship with God. Because if you are up here, or you think you're up here, and you start looking down, you're out of step with God. Because that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. We need a reality check to remember who we are with God as superior. He's the only one that can be on the high ground. When we learn to give up our high ground, when we learn to give up our moral superiority, we'll be able to challenge the status quo, just like Jesus. When we learn to give up our high ground, we'll be able to cross cultural boundaries, build bridges, just like Jesus. When we learn to give up our high ground, we'll risk breaking all the societal rules, we'll venture into territory that others like to avoid. When we learn to give up our high ground, we'll actually rise above above the concerns we have for ourselves and have concern for the community. When we learn to give up our high ground, God's gift of love, His gift of mercy and forgiveness, that will be our motivation. That will be at the very center of who we are and will pour out there. And then when God calls us to go somewhere that we would rather not go and speak to someone that maybe we would rather not speak to, we will willingly say, I'm here, Lord, send me but only if we get off the high ground. And then, when that happens, only heaven will be able to reveal the outcome. When we learn to give up our high ground, we'll learn to love others with unconditional love. Not because we like them. Not because they look like us. Not because they think like us. But because God loves us. As much as he loves them. And it's God's love that compels us to love others. We can only love because God loved us first. And when we give up our high ground, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. And only then can we take the gift of living water to those in the areas of Samaria. Samaria the ones whose lives have been parched by sin and suffering, loneliness. You name it. And so, get off the high ground so you can love in ways that matter. Because every person, every soul matters to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for Jesus and his love, his example. Lord, I pray that we leave challenged from your word this morning. Lord, change the way we see people. Lord, help us to see others the way you do. Help us to see people through your eyes. We have a gift of love. We have a gift of salvation. We have a gift of mercy and grace, Lord. May we be witnesses of it out in the world to those that need it. Lord, help us to have the courage to be different. Strengthen us to be different. Because Jesus was radical. Jesus was different. We should expect nothing less. As we leave this place, I pray a blessing upon everyone here. I pray a blessing upon those who couldn't be with us this morning, Father. May they know your love. May they know the grace that is in them from Jesus. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.